Welcome back to Due Diligence, guys. Today's episode is with a very special guest that I actually learned so much from. So if you follow me on TikTok, you know I talk about sloppy brands. I research these brands and, you know, have certain opinions and perspectives on them. But it's not the same as being an insider, right? So I wanted to bring in somebody who was an insider, who has been working with these celebrities and on their teams and helping them start these brands for years. And so I brought in Jackie Fast, that's the special guest we have today, to share some of her experiences of working with talent. She started Slingshot Studios when she was 25 out of her bedroom, an agency that she founded that would connect celebrities to big brands. Her second client ever was Prince. She has some hilarious stories around that. And she built the business into a multi-million dollar business with offices around the world that worked with clients like the Rolling Stones, Shell, Formula One, Red Bull, Sir Richard Branson. And she eventually sold that company in 2016. And she then started Sandbox Studios. Sandbox is a VC firm based in LA. They invest in seed stage celebrity brands. We cover everything from what most people get wrong about celebrity brands to why so many of them fail, best practices for existing brands that want to bring in talent to help promote the brand, different ways celebrities are often paid. We even talk about some interesting fun facts like the percentage conversion rate of the highest converting Kardashian on social media. We just cover a lot of ground. It's an eye-opening conversation. I learned a lot. I really just appreciate Jackie's candor and transparency. She really doesn't beat around the bush at all. So I hope you guys enjoy this conversation. And I do want to share one more thing before we dive into this episode. I want to share with you guys our sponsor for today. Our sponsor is Smarter, a Shopify app that helps you basically maximize lifetime value by reducing churn, increasing your subscription revenue, running your loyalty and rewards programs all in one app. They make it really easy for Shopify brands to set up tailored subscriptions and you can create customer account portals so your customers can get in there and basically manage their subscriptions by gifting products, sending referrals, customizing their own bundles, earning loyalty rewards. It's a really flexible and tailored experience for them, which ultimately just creates a better customer experience, right? So I really love everything they've built. I've been so impressed. And also it doesn't hurt that they're a female founded. Go check them out. If you have a brand that uses Shopify, you can learn more and get a demo at smarter.com. That's S-M-A-R-T-R-R.com forward slash Dolma. Without further ado, let's get into this conversation with Jackie Fast. We are here with Jackie Fast. She is the founder of Sandbox Studios. And Jackie is somebody I've been hearing about for a while because she is one of the big players in this industry. You've been working with talent at the intersection of talent and brands for a while. So Jackie, thank you so much for being here. And to start off, why don't you actually tell us a little bit more context on Slingshot, and then we can talk about how that led to Sandbox. For sure. When I was much younger than I am now, I set up a business called Slingshot Sponsorship when I was 25 in my bedroom of a rented flat in London with the concept that fans or customers had the capability of connecting with the brands that they loved in a deeper, meaningful way because of technology and social media. So I set up my business in 2010. This was like the launch of Twitter. Not everybody was on LinkedIn. Brands were still figuring out what they can post, what they should post, who should post about it. Almost nobody had a social media 
person or an agency. Like there were no agencies at that time. And so I really put my flag in the sand that this would change communications. And so, yes, I have been working with talent for a very long time, but really fundamentally what Slingshot did is it helped brands leverage other IP. So other people's brands to grow audiences in its most basic sense. So we worked with music festivals. We worked with football clubs. We worked with Formula One. We worked with car racing teams, sustainability programs, entrepreneurial programs, but we also worked with talent. And along the way, funny enough, talent is probably more well-versed and more up to taking the risk of leveraging um, brand partnerships. And my second client was Prince the Musician. And what musicians, especially at that time when Spotify was disrupting the entire label system, what they were trying to do is like, how do we make more money from the stuff that we're already doing? That is fundamentally what most people are trying to do. And so our agency would go in and figure out how we would leverage stuff like meet and greet, backstage sound stuff. In some senses, way back in the day, it was social media posts. And if you go way, way, way back, I think we sold our first like social media post value, for like 250 pounds for like a top Premier League footballer who's like probably now that's worth like a million pounds. We were really one of the first people that started looking at these things as assets. But we didn't sell them individually. We sold them in big packages. So we would sell it to Coca-Cola and Coca-Cola would be able to leverage Prince's album or the Rolling Stones tour. And we would really work out what best assets would help the brand achieve what they were trying to do, which is always typically gain new customers in a new demographic. So I've been doing this for 20 years, really. It's been a really time. And because of where we started, especially what Slingshot did, uh, I had Slingshot for seven years. I sold it after year six. We were really new in the market with this whole idea. Prior to us coming on, everybody was thinking about leveraging IP through broadcast and television rights. So like, where's your logo? Is that impactful? And it's not. So I used to go around town being like, logos don't, don't add value. It's relationships and storytelling. But because I was really fighting an uphill battle, I had to work really hard at getting conversion metrics. You know, we were probably one of the first people that valued a social media post. I had to back that up with data because I'd sell it, right? So I'd sell it to the Coca-Colas of the world and we would have a breakdown. Like, this is what you're buying. This is the social media post. This is the value of that. You're going to do um, a meet and greet. This is the value of that. And so we have been collecting these IP conversion metrics for 20 years, way back before even people thought about it. So now it's a very new thing in terms of celebrity brands, but nobody understands the conversion metrics at all, I'd probably say, because they don't have 20 years of data. Mm -hmm. I want to ask a little more about that. But first, I want to ask you, how did you get Prince as your second client when you started the agency at 25 out of your bedroom? I think there was a couple of things, luck being one of them, being in the right place at the right time. I also was really good at my job. So prior to Slingshot, before I left my job, I basically did sponsorship deals for a large it's a trade association in Britain, but it was a large one. It was called the Direct Marketing Association. And so I was pretty well known for doing this kind of stuff for people. And I had done a deal at the Direct Marketing Association when I was there. And the person that I had done that deal really, really loved it and me. And they had hot wind that Prince's management team in the US was looking for a sponsorship person. And they were just like, oh, Jackie just broke out. And it was just a happy introduction. We pitched. I want to say that that's kind of, I guess 
the natural way in terms of the luck. Well, and it's also Prince. So I didn't know this at the time, but Prince is very difficult to work with. He is like a creative's creative. He doesn't care about money at all. Um, And so most people that are probably, you would say maybe more professional than me when I was 25 setting up a business wouldn't have taken on the client. And so it was like, it was a combination of like me being super naive, right place at the right time, had no idea what I was doing and like massive hustler. And that's kind of how that started. But the great thing about Prince is that that did so well and he was so difficult. It was like baptism by fire. And then everything else was super easy. So we did the Rolling Stones after that. We did a whole bunch of like really cool, mostly music, but also talent type deals. And that was kind of the best experience, to be honest. That is an epic story. I am curious about what you've learned over these two decades about what creates a good fit between talent and a brand. I think a lot of people like to use the word authenticity. So, you know, is it authentic? And I never want to be a naysayer around authenticity, but I will also say like experts like myself, build it. We create authenticity. What you think is authentic is manufactured. I'm nothing if not super brutally honest with this stuff, but truthfully, authenticity is how it sounds, how it looks, how it looks to the outside person. Are they engaged? You don't know if it's authentic unless you know the person. So it's really your visuals of your understanding of consumers' perception of what you think authentic is. And so what that typically means is the stronger that the person, the individual has a kind of alignment. So, you know, Miley Cyrus is like crazy, smokes lots of pot, likes to go shopping, young, really erratic behavior. Like that's her brand. Zoe Kravitz is like cool, like understated, won't take any deals. Like they have crafted and cultivated a specific fit for what their brand is. And when you align brands that have the same and mirror the same values, morals, ethics, etc., that feels like an authentic fit. Saying that, I mean, one of the brands we're about to launch, you know, will look super authentic, but like the person doesn't care at all about the skincare. But, you know, that's not a bad thing. Authenticity is super important, but it's only important to the consumer. And so you have to understand how to create that and really how to make it make it good. You have to remember with these people, these celebrities, they're very busy. The things that they typically care about, the reasons they are so good at acting, being sports stars, being musicians, because that's what they care about. They don't care about the next hot sauce. You know, they're not that interested in like the most comfortable shoe wear. You know, they care about the music or they care about the acting or they care about the sport with brands that are maybe not within those remits, which most of them are not. You have to create authenticity. That's fascinating. I have observed that there are some celebrities who seem to be natural entrepreneurs. And again, this is based on perception and optics. So I may be totally off, but Ryan Reynolds of Aviation Gin seems like he has ideas and is passionate and involved. And Kim Kardashian, I mean, Skims is a juggernaut and she seems to be really focused on it. And then there are celebrities where you think this person is kind of doing it as a side thing. And really they're focused on their main thing, which is understandable. I think the tragic part of that is that sometimes my guess is the products are actually good, but people see the perceived inauthenticity and they're like, I'm not going to try that. It's a cash grab. What do you think about that? I think a lot of people think that's true, but the data says otherwise. Oh, okay. To you or I or people that maybe study the space a bit more, um, you'd be like, oh, that's, that's a weird fit. Like Kim Kardashian doesn't even eat hot sauce or whatever the case is. 
Um, you have to remember, typically how consumers buy stuff, there's a stage. And in very simple terms, it's like a marketing funnel. So there's awareness, there's understanding, there's product knowledge, then there's conversion. What celebrity does is it creates awareness. So whether you think it's authentic or not, you now know that product exists. Imagine if you are a hot sauce that doesn't have a Kim Kardashian backing it. It's very, very difficult to break that awareness. And so it really is less about that and more about how the brand can then convert you to buy. So you might say, oh, that's very inauthentic. But if you are at a restaurant and that's available, you're more likely to choose that than the other product because you're familiar with it. Familiarity breeds conversion. And that is really the sweet spot. But I think what most brands get wrong is to your point, like there's brands that launch and then brands that fail. Most brands don't understand that. Most brands think, oh, I'm going to get Jared Leto and sell like $50 million of product. They don't understand the marketing funnel because that's typically not how celebrity brands are built. Celebrity brands are typically built by the product themselves. Like this is a great product. I'm a product person, et cetera. Let's go get a, I'm just like running out of celebrity names. Brad, let's go get a Brad Pitt and Brad Pitt will tell everybody, everybody will buy it. That's not entirely true. Everybody might know that Brad Pitt launched a skincare line, but they might not pick it up. And so there's quite a lot of work on the marketing end to convert the awareness into purchase. And that is what is missing in celebrity brands. That is fascinating because I think that's a different diagnosis from an insider than what people assume. People assume the lack of authenticity is the issue, but actually you're saying the bottleneck is that brands just think talent is a silver bullet for sales, but it's just the brand awareness piece. And then they give you that beautiful layup and then you have to do all the the rest of the work. I mean, spot on, really good analogy as well. Yeah, 100%. That, that is that is 99% of the problems with celebrity brands. I think once people start understanding that, these brands will start working better. To your point, there are a lot of really good products that are backed by celebrities that don't go anywhere. And it really is less about the celebrity and less about the product and mostly about the execution. And do you think, if we were to drill down to diagnose that further, do you think the lack of execution is about the team or the resources or what is it about? Everything. So the issue that most people have when launching a celebrity brand is to your point, they have the Ryan Reynolds, the Kim Kardashians of the world, the Kylie cosmetics. There are all of these really great standout brands that have worked incredibly well. What you have kind of noticed, but you don't know because you don't know these people is underneath these brands, these specific people are people that are working. So Kim Kardashian works for her stuff. Like she's not just a pretty page. She's not trying to get like movie deals, etc. Ryan Reynolds, he works really hard, but also he's very good at content. He's a writer at heart. He's a comedian at heart. Even his Instagram, you can see like he creates jokes and he sells stories. That is who he is as a person. And so he's able to leverage his individual skill set. You know this from all of your experience with entrepreneurs. Not everybody is a natural born entrepreneur. You know, it takes a lot of work. And so when you are trying to do that and be an actress or musician or have a career, it's very, very difficult to juggle two jobs. Not very many people can do it. I won't name names, but there is a private equity fund that manages money for um, sports athletes. They have 188 uh, athletes, top athletes, working athletes on their books that invest into brands that become the face, uh, do influencer stuff. Of the 188, when it's in season, four people reply. Just to give you the percentage of how hard it is, it's hard, it's hard work, but it's also like, it's very rare. So when you see these honest companies, these goops, all of this stuff, 
the reason that they stand out is not because they're a celebrity brand that was like a great product. It's because the people actually work to make that in a good product. What happens now is people see that from an outside perspective, have absolutely no idea what happens on the ground level to make this stuff work. Nobody even understands that most people don't even convert the Kardashians, the best converting Kardashian it converts at 0.0017%. Um, and so if you have like a million followers, that's like 500 people. Like I could probably sell like lemonade to 500 people on my block, you know? So people don't understand the concept. They just think I'll have a celebrity. They have 10 million followers. This will be a billion dollar brand in the year. And so when they go into launching a brand with that expectation, they don't do all the things to your point. They don't put in a good team. They don't spend money where they need to. They don't save money where they need to. They don't raise enough money because they think that it's going to be an overnight success. Mm -hmm. And so the reason that the execution is so poor is for all of those reasons, but it's because of expectations. Interesting. That's fascinating. And I'm, I mean, now I think we are starting to see more data, even just from the outside. It seems like a lot of these brands kind of flop. Do you see there being recalibrated expectations around, oh, this actually takes work. We actually have to put together a proper brand and all the right foundations. And there needs to be maybe hopefully some involvement from the talent. How do you see this landscape is changing and people's understandings of what makes a celebrity brand work evolving over time? I think. Or is it not changing? <laughs> I'm not sure. Do you know what? I'm not entirely sure. I, I'm really surprised at how many brands get launched with poor expectations and poor management when it's, it's, and it's not anybody's fault. It's just new, right? Like it's kind of like a cowboy industry. So prior to this, like even at Slingshot, I put forward, I remember the last equity deal idea I put forward was UNICEF and David Beckham. No, Mont Blanc, UNICEF, and David Beckham. And I was sitting around the table and I said, well, why don't we just have shared ownership thing? And Mont Blanc was like, just too much work. Like to set up a new company, how do you split that like percentage and stuff? Because it's very difficult to do. And so now celebrities are like happy to do anything. And if I was a celebrity, I'd do as many deals as possible for as little work as possible. That would be what you'd try to achieve, mm -hmm. right? The issue is the operators and the operators and understanding of raising a brand and launching a brand. And I think most of these people, especially, I mean, we've seen 250 celebrity brands raising in a year. Most of them are not launched by operators. Most of them are launched by private equity firms trying to capitalize on a Kardashian wave. And, you know, when it comes down to it, they're stuck like, well, we spent 60% of our fundraise on creative because we thought that was important and it's not. And then what do you do when you haven't sold anything? And so to your point, why these brands are flopping is like a real mix of stuff. And is this going to continue? Yeah, I think so. I think, I think this will continue on for a couple more years because you've got to shake it out. There are a lot of people that are very good at building brands. And once those people start getting more involved and once people understand the risks involved and once people start understanding that it's not so easy, I think less people will do it. So I really, truly believe in five years, every brand that you will see that's consumer will have a face, will have somebody recognizable on it. But I don't think that somebody like Mindy Kaling will have 500 deals, which is kind of what's happening. Again, to my point that I made, if you were a celebrity, you would want to do as much as you could because you don't pay anything. You would want to have as diversified of a portfolio as possible. But I think what will happen is that there will be less operators. Obviously, you don't have to name names, but how are these deals typically structured? Are the celebrities being paid up front or is it just an equity? Because I imagine if they're getting paid up front, that explains a lot of this landscape that we're seeing. 
So they don't get paid up for most. Uh, they also did there. Um, it's, it's like, how can you skin a cat? And I will also argue it doesn't matter, but there are really three forms. One, they get paid in equity. So depending on their reach, how much they're going to post, et cetera, they'll get anywhere between five and 30% of the business, um, which is, I think, pretty significant for somebody who's just posting something, but that's just me. Mm-hmm. Um, then then there's typically performance, and this can be done with or without equity. So once the person comes on, they might get 3% of all revenue for the foreseeable or for a five-year licensing deal, et cetera. Then to your point about getting paid, then there's the talent fee. So the talent fee has existed since when I did Slingshot. That's typically the way talent gets paid. But what talent has done is they've swapped the talent fee for equity and performance because the upside is much better. So typical talent fees for an A-lister are like half a million dollars. So a brand is going to look at spending about $2 million when it's all said and done because you have to activate it. You have to buy the ad space. You have to buy the rights, the royalties. But if you were... Angelina Jolie, and you got paid half a million dollars to do a perfume, what happens to your half a million dollars is it gets whittled down to like 140,000 take home. So half a million dollars goes to you, but then you have to pay your agent, you have to pay your agency, you have to pay overheads for your like assistant and all that stuff. And then tax, then the government comes in and cuts it in half. And so their half a million is really like 100 grand. And so for them to risk 100 grand for half a million dollars in equity is a much better deal for them. Mm -hmm. So we would prefer to do equity deals. I follow the space, but I don't see a lot of news about exits of celebrity brands. And so what do you see as far as exits? Are we just not hearing about them? What is happening as far as these celebrities being able to cash out that equity? So there's lots of exits. And I think we're like in our second wave, which is why everything's new. So if you go back five years ish people like fabletics so textiles beats by dre vitamin water they started doing equity deals because they didn't actually have the cash flow and like beats by dre wasn't a cash flow that was like they originated the idea gwyneth originated the idea jessica alba originated the idea kylie cosmetics she originated the idea these are celebrities who had an idea went into the market and created a brand by themselves that was one wave and oh there were huge exits i mean casamigo sold for 1400x uh you know Aviation Gin was like 450x. I mean, I've got all of the stats, but these are huge exits. Now we're in the second wave. People have been like, oh, celebrity brands. This is so easy. So they started launching them. So I I mentioned already, but we saw 250 brands raising. This is very new. When I launched, we only launched the fund in 2021. And I expected to see about 80 deals a year. 250 is insane to me. I think we'll probably see 350, 400. So these brands are only just getting started. And with consumer brands, you wouldn't normally see an exit for five to six years anyways. So that's why you see a lull because you had brands started by celebrities and now you have brands started by people in partnership with celebrities. It's a different type of structure, not even structure, but it's a different type of momentum and the way that these brands are built. So you haven't seen the exits of these. What I will say is that there will be a lot of exits and they will be hard and fast. And the reason why is because it's less about the product, although the product is important as a base level, but the people that are hoovering up these most celebrity brands, 99% of them will be acquired. They won't be IPOs. And the reason why is L'Oreal, Cody, Diageo, ABM, Bev, General Mills, Johnson & Johnson, what they need is content. They need content to reach a younger audience 
on TikTok or the likes of these new media. And typically like LVMHs of the world, they can't move as fast. And so the reason why Fenty, Casamigos, all of these things are kind of like capturing the attention of these conglomerates are because these are brands that are capturing culture. They're capturing culture because they're on platforms with a younger demographic that these traditional conglomerates cannot engage with. It's a bigger, wider strategy for conglomerates, and which is why, like I said, I think in four years' time, you will start seeing only exits with celebrity brands. Because similar to you about the hot sauce that you recognized at a restaurant, even though you didn't think it was authentic, conglomerates will buy brands that are recognizable over brands that are not. And so if you have a hair care that's doing 30 million in sales at Sephora and a hair care that's doing 30 million at Sephora with an influencer who has 200 million followers, what are you going to pick? So it's just, it's a competitive advantage thing. Is there a risk though to a brand being too closely affiliated with a certain talent who's going to be more hands-off after the acquisition? Or is it not a risk because you already have that email list, you already have that following? I mean, the ideal is to have them engaged, right? Like that is your ideal. So Kylie Cosmetics sold, Kylie is still super influential on Instagram. There was like a whole big riff about Cody thinking that they didn't get a good deal and she wasn't as engaged, et cetera, et cetera. But then Cody just did skin with Kim. So like it has worked. This is the issue with stuff like this. You know, this happened in sponsorship as well. As consumers, you think you know all this stuff because you see it all the time. You're engaged with it all the time you know these brands, but you're not in the brand. You're not looking at the numbers. And it's the numbers is the thing that you need to look at. And most people don't have access to the numbers. And so, you know, the reason why you buy them to your point is, yeah, you have the mailing list, but you also have an audience that is that demographic that is already buying the brand. It's easier to convert that audience into like, let's say your L'Oreal into all of your other products and all of your other brands, because you now have the reach. Yes, it would be much easier if Kylie's there helping that happen and integrating that, but it's it's not a necessary thing. When a brand buys a celebrity brand, it, there's usually like an earn out, just like there would be for a founder. And so how they are engaged and how that transition happens is again, based on the conglomerate. One trend I'm starting to see, actually, it's probably not a trend. It's probably been around for a while, but I think there are some evolutions recently, but celebrities are becoming founders, but also investors, right? Angel investors, some of them have their own funds. And some of them are opting for more traditional sort of ambassadorship, or they come in as a quote unquote co-founder, creative director, right? Um, Of these different roles, how do you think about them? How do you think about the evolution of them? How do you think about advising clients on which one would be the better fit? How do you think about these? It really depends on the brand strategy. So, I mean, I kind of mentioned, I think there are mismanaged expectations of what celebrities can do. And so if a brand is a great brand, it's got great awareness, but they can't convert, I would never recommend a celebrity. And like, all I do is promote celebrity brands. So like, there are certain circumstances that celebrities don't make sense. If I was a founder and I came up with this incredible idea that was super nation, a product that was really differentiated... I don't know if I would start with a celebrity. I would build the brand because it's so different and so unique and build it to a place just like you wouldn't take on investment if you don't need to. You don't just give equity away. And most of these founders have no idea what the celebrity is actually going to do for them. For me, it seems crazy because there's a lot of talk about where you get your money from. Like, be careful how much equity, be careful which investors you take money from. But everybody's happy to take any celebrity with like 100,000 following and give them 30% of their business without like any kind of contract in place or even understanding of conversion or their audience. So there needs to be kind of a better understanding of that. Saying that celebrities are, you know, marketing dynamite when you know how to use them. In terms of having celebrity investors on board, 
I think that is hit and miss. I think a lot of people use that strategy. I think it can help. Typically, I would want celebrity investors at a later stage in terms of growth. So you're raising your BC, you're going to IPO. That's kind of where it will help with press and PR. And then you're not giving equity away because at that stage, truthfully, like I worked with most of the FTSE 100 brands and talent because that's the people that had the most money. They didn't move the needle as much as you think that they do. And so you don't want to give 5% of a company away when you're almost about to exit to somebody who's really not going to help you exit. But the PR is important before an exit right? Seeing the brand, making people aware of the brand, all of that stuff. So having celebrity investors at a late stage, I think is very helpful. Having ownership or founders, to your point, like creative directors or co-founders at an early stage, I think is super important and super, super valuable, which is why, I mean, we are the only fund in the world that is investing in celebrity brands, but we are at seed stage. That's a very strategic thing because I don't really think celebrities do much at a later stage. How you structure a deal, what that looks like is really based on the company, what stage the company is at and really what the strategy is. So let's actually seg into Sandbox because there are so many questions I could ask you. And if I just keep going, we're never going to talk about Sandbox. What inspired you to start it and what do you guys do? So Sandbox Studios is a venture fund based in LA. We exclusively invest in celebrity brands. So where there is a brand that is led by talent in any way. So we kind of have been talking about it. So I don't need to rattle off more, but your Casamigos and your Skims of the world, those are deals that we would invest into. Um, we're seed stage. So we write checks anywhere about 200000 300 thousand into a brand, but the value is less about the money and more about expertise and experience. So, I mean, I've been sitting here chatting with you about all of this stuff and a lot of these issues are really easy to nip in the bud. So like when we kind of go in, it's very quick for me to identify, okay, you've used the celebrity in the wrong way. You're spending the marketing dollars in the wrong place. We need to adjust this. This is how we engage. So I really kind of advise our founders on how best to use the celebrity in question. That's kind of our value. We also have very wide reaching contacts and networks. So we also add value in terms of like intros, intros to other celebrities, intros to other groups, intros to other brands, raising money, et cetera. So we exclusively like focus on celebrity brands at seed stage. So that's what we do. To your point about how best to use a celebrity, how do you get the most out of a partnership with a celebrity? What are some common mistakes and what are best practices? I think you need to be really clear about what you want them to do. And then you need to be very clear if they can do it. And I don't mean like, I want them to post. Oh, can they post? It's more like, does the post add value to the brand? So one of our brands in our portfolio, the celebrity is so engaged. It's amazing. And he's fab. But um, they ask him to do stuff all the time that doesn't do anything. It doesn't sell more stuff. It doesn't build more followers, doesn't engage anything, but like, it's good. He'll do it and it looks good, but it's not brand building. It's not, it's just kind of there. I think if you overutilize that, you're going to miss out on the stuff that does work. And so one of my recommendations for them was like, stop doing stuff that doesn't work. Like figure out what works. You've done so much. Like look at what is actually moving the needle and what is not and stop doing stuff that doesn't move the needle and really use them when you really want them to move the needle. You know, the celebrity wants the brand to do well, not just because they're incentivized to do it. It's because their face is on it. And so just like if you are a founder, they have the same desire for it not to fail. But if you get them to do 700 posts a year, they're going to really tap out. And if those posts aren't working, that is also a bigger problem. 
because then they get demotivated. Then they think you're crap. Then they think they made a bad decision. Then they basically disengage. So you have to really walk the line on engaging them enough, but where their engagement makes a difference that is recognized and that they appreciate and know. So typically within the first year, the way that I normally tell founders is the second that the contract is signed is the most engaged that celebrity will be with your brand. And as the days go on, they will get less and less. And it's not because they don't love you. It's not because they don't love the brand. It's because they're so busy and they have many other things and there's a party here to go to. And a lot of them very much are like prints are creatives. And so there's always another deal. There's always another idea. There's always something happening that is going to catch their attention. And so you just get less and less space time with them. So I try to front load everything. Usually before we even sign a contract, within three months, we do a massive photo shoot, like two days, all the outfits, all the products, any ideas, all the backstage, all the social, all the TikToks. And you just basically host and hold all of this content that you then slowly put out over time. So it looks like to the point of being authentic and engaged, it looks like they're doing a lot, but actually it's two days in the beginning of the year. And now you've got content for three years. That's one of my tricks. Another one of my tricks is doing stuff that they like. Prince was a really great example. I've got a a really good story about him. We did a private concert with one of the sponsors that I set up and he didn't turn up. And it was a really bad situation for me because I had sold it to a very, very big conglomerate for a lot of money and he just didn't show up and he didn't want to, and he just didn't want to do it. And it didn't matter. And it was totally on me and it was really embarrassing. And it was a very difficult situation to get out of, especially when I was like 26 at the time, I think. And my lesson from that is like, know what they want to do. Because some people like the Ryan Reynolds of the world probably will do it if they don't want to, but most of them won't. If you really figure out like, what are the things that they like to do? What are the things that they don't like to do? And try try to, as best as you can, create things and opportunities that are good for the brand and good for them. That's kind of your sweet spot. Back to your point about you know, content that actually works or just things that work instead of just things where you're asking them to do something, maybe they'll do it. It doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't move the needle. Are we talking about content? Are we talking about types of content? And then what, what would some examples be just so people can get really clear yeah, ideas? For sure. So one, one of the brands in our portfolio that I am really proud of, I mean, I guess I can just say, I don't even know why I'm trying, trying to dance around it. New School um, it has Tim Tebow as a, as a kind of chief mission officer, kind of co-founder chief mission officer where he really moves the needle is not in social media posts where he moves the needle is in retailer meetings so he is very well known very well recognized in the midwest and so when new school go to renegotiate their albertson's deal or their retail deal or want to set up a new opportunity to get into more stores to get better shelf space to put a new product on the line they bring tim tebow and the people there it's like a meeting that they will take that they will find in their diary, they get stuff signed, they love it, and then they sign a deal. And so, you know, for a company like New School, which is an on-the-go protein, healthy protein snack, it's not really about selling like six bars to you through Instagram. It is really about catching that mom of two on the grocery line who's starving, wants a snack and grabs it on her way through checkout. And so it's those kind of things like, yes, Tim Tebow is a celebrity. Yes, he's got a really good social following. Yes, he's very active on social media, but we don't use him in that way. It's really looking at what moves the needle for your brand. Wow, that's genius. 
I'm curious about your take on what I perceive as the blurring of the line between celebrities and influencers, because there are a lot of influencers who become huge enough that they cross over into the mainstream, right? The Emma Chamberlains of the world. Do you see all of these equally applying to influencers or are there some key differences? So I don't, but I will be the first to admit that I am probably not the best first in this. So my experience is very much A-listers, big brands, consumer brands. That is where my sweet spot is. As I mentioned, I set up my business in 2010. I was like one of the first people to like value a social media post. And so there were no influencers at that time. And so we never did deals with influencers. I think social chain came in and met us like a couple of times. And I was thinking like, what is this? This seems so small. And they're like massive now. So like it wasn't big in the time that I was doing what I was doing. So there's that. Now my other argument to kind of back up why we, and I won't say we don't do influencers, but I'm very wary of doing influencer brands. And the reason why is influencers don't translate to platform. So a TikTok influencer is very good on TikTok, who's typically very good on Twitch. Like a Twitch person is very good on Twitch, is not necessarily big on YouTube. A YouTuber is not necessarily very big on like a podcast, for example. So they typically stay in their channel, which wouldn't be bad if you knew what the future would be. So I'm definitely not a futurist, but I've been doing this a long time and I'm pretty good at it. And if you would have told me 10 years ago that people would be watching people play video games for eight hours a day, I would have said you're crazy. Um, and so I don't know where consumers will be. You know, we're a 10 year fund. I'm not going to make a 10 year investment into an influencer when I don't know if TikTok will be around in five years or if it's replaced completely by Web3. That is why I don't do that from an investment level. But I will say that they make great brands. You know, Mr. Beast is a really, really great example. And the reason why is, again, it's audience. They have the engaged audience. From an investor level, we wouldn't do that because I don't see the long term in it. But I'm not saying that that isn't a good strategy. Interesting. Okay. As a fund, what are your criteria for what you will invest in and won't invest in? So there's many. So if we take off the basic stuff, so most funds will look for some basic stuff. Like, is the product good? Is the team good? Is like, you know, is the product market fit? What's the revenue look like? What's the channels? So take all that stuff away, which is all the base stuff that any investor does. The level that we have to do is the talent level and talent is a very big beast. And this is why most people don't do talent investing because it's it's really, really complicated. There are lots of variables. So most people think it's as simple as, do they have an engaged audience? Is the demographic correct? Do they have a big enough audience? And is it authentic? Does it look the part? That misses so many things that most people don't recognize or appreciate that can blow up a brand. I don't want to say that working with celebrities is risky because that's not the point that I'm making, but I will give you an example of a celebrity. I won't name a name, but she is the number fifth top followed female on social media. She's number five. So you could Google it, figure it out. She launched a nail kit. And she's buried with her nails and there's like lots of stuff. She's got a whole army of fans heavily engaged. She basically ticks all the boxes for what celebrity you would want to launch a brand with. But they raise money very, very quickly. I think they raised 4.5 in like a couple of weeks because everything fits, right? Like all the things we were talking about. Is it authentic? Yes. Does she have massive following? Yes. Is it engaged? Yes. Is the product great? Yes. Those four things are the things you should be looking for. But I've worked with her. I personally really like her, but I know she treats junior people terribly. Um, she treats everybody like her assistant and nobody likes working for her. And when you are a startup brand, that is horrible. 
And so we would never invest with her ever because of that, because building a brand, as you very well know, is very, very difficult. And you can't do that with somebody who's treating people that are getting paid probably half the price that they would be getting paid elsewhere like shit. And so that is something most people won't know right? We know it because we've worked with her. You know, the agent and the agencies would never say that because they're obviously trying to do a deal. So there's like a level of experience and expertise in the space that you can't buy. You have just got to have it. Um, And so we look at a whole bunch of deals, but really is, is this going to work? Is this really a good fit? And having a million followers or like a hundred million or 200 million followers isn't always the right move for the brand certainly helps, but there are challenges and restrictions that come with that as well. Those are the things that we don't even think about for sure. I mean, most people don't care. They they don't think about, but they don't care about that. It's so insane because most investors will look and be like, the team is the most important. If you look on any venture capital website, like we back founders, we back the team, experience the team, and nobody cares about the personality or the person. And almost every investor in a celebrity brand, which is not a lot of investors in celebrity brands, have never even spoken to the celebrity. Yeah. Don't even know the person. Yeah. Some founders don't even haven't even spoke. Like they've maybe had one Zoom call with a celebrity that they bring on for a thirty percent partner, and it's like they don't know these people. And I'm very good on a first date and an interview, but like <laughs> being married to me is a whole different story. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just one Zoom does not dictate how somebody's going to work. And then the people that have proven themselves, your Ryan Reynolds of the world. I mean demand insane fees that you could never afford, right? It's so funny that most people take the person out of the celebrity when the person is really pretty fundamental. What do you feel like is your superpower? (laughs) I don't know if I have a superpower. I like I'm really willing to work a lot harder than most people. <laughs> I, I mean, listen, I, I like graph. This stuff doesn't come easy. Working with talent is really, really difficult. Um, but getting it right is, you know, my swan song. You know, this is kind of what I do really, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I'm willing to put in the work. What I do is not rocket science. I'm not saving the world. I'm not saving lives. But I'm willing to put in the time and the effort to really understand this probably more than most people choose to care about. And I think my innate curiosity in the space has like led me to discover opportunities. And when I sold Slingshot, I sold Slingshot in 2016, stayed on in 2017, left the business in 2018. I mean, I wasn't working for like four years because I wasn't sure what I was going to do next. And I really love what I was doing, but I wanted it to be bigger. And it took me this long to get to this point. And I just happened to have the right experience at the right time to be able to launch a fund that is exclusively in this. And so I really believe that Slingshot Sandbox will be like the preeminent fund with celebrity brands. I think it will be synonymous with like, we'll have a portfolio of your Casamigos, your Beats by Dre, your Gin. And I think right now, most people think it's luck that these celebrity brands are the ones that are outliers. I know for a fact it's not. It's um, strategy, it's work, it's it's execution, it's putting the right pieces together. And I think in five years from now, that will be proven. But, you know, it takes time. But like I said, I mean, my superpower is, is I'm typically willing to work harder than the next guy. What are some principles you've learned about working with creatives? I mean, we've already touched on a few of them, but I'm just fascinated by the world of talent. I think fundamentally, they're very different to me. I mean, I shouldn't say you or I, because it's not, well, there's a lot of people that are creative. I am not creative. And so I always have to like check myself because the things that I care about aren't necessarily the things that they care about. That is always a really important thing to 
set boundaries. And I, again, I was really fortunate to have been burnt early on with friends. And I mean, it wasn't burnt. We, we did a fabulous job, which is why we work with talent is really because I managed to make that work. But he was a really great example. I don't think anybody is as extreme as he is. And I had to work with him. Like that was my second client. I couldn't have failed the second client. So I literally just like had to really rock my brain to figure out how I can get what I needed out of him when he didn't want to give me anything. <laughs> um, that was, I mean, I mentioned it baptism by fire, but like that was an experience and an education that I really relish. And I think I take a lot of those learning lessons into the work that I do now. Mm-hmm. And I think, I don't think I will ever work with somebody as hard as him. So I feel like everything's pretty easy now. Like I think most people turn off when we do a deal. Um, so, but you know, I think one of the things that I always really say is a lot of people get really fixated on contracts. Like what's in the contract? Redline this. We need to have this. What happens to this? Like truthfully, how I work is you want the person to want to do it, you know, and you have to figure out how to get them to want to do it. And usually the way that I have always done it is like through motivation and they did this for a reason. And, you know, money is one of the things. So like, even if you can't figure out another thing, money is one of the things. And so if you tie into their actions equates to money, that tends to help. And so a lot of it is really structuring your communications in a way that shows that they're adding value. I think a lot of the time, I don't want to say people are starstruck working with celebrities, but I think a lot of the times, so I've had founders who like, <laughs> I had a call, I had a call with a founder, one of our founders who was like, oh, it's like, well, what's going on? And they're like, well, you know, sometimes he does all this stuff and sometimes he just doesn't respond. I'm like, what do you mean he doesn't respond? He's like, he just like doesn't do it. I'm like, what do you mean he doesn't do it? They're like, well, he just didn't want to do it. I'm like, that's really like, imagine you hired a brand manager who just decided not to come to work for a week. And like, you were fine with it. Like, I was like, no, that's not okay. They're like, well, you know, it's because it's him. I'm like, no, mm. like, <laughs> paying this guy more money than you would be paying like a junior staffer and you don't expect that like an intern that you're not even paying like you can't take that and so another thing that I have always been very good at is like I'm pretty hardcore if you don't do something like you are going to be in trouble there isn't like a not that I don't take bullshit but like this is the deal we agree to do it if you don't follow through there's going to be problems and I'm not happy and I think most people like to work with me and so most people don't want to not make me happy so I have never had issues but again it's because I started with Prince and it's because I had so many issues and I learned really early on how to try to navigate that in the best way possible. Before we wrap up I have one more question which is about the marketability of different talent. I remember reading something once I was doing this deep dive into Fenty and Rihanna's brands and I saw that she was ranked, I don't know how they measured this, the second most marketable celebrity or something or maybe it was even the first but that got me thinking, oh, there are celebrities who have a certain kind of brand awareness and reach, but it's not the same as marketability. It's not the same as being able to convert, right? When you promote a brand, how do you discern that? How can you tell if somebody is that before you even have access to the data? Or is there a way? I would say there's not a way. I think you need the data. I think one of the things, the big misconception, you'll know this because you have a big following, but I mean, if you put out a product, you'd see it very quickly. 
people could be fans of somebody's content and not buy the product that the person is promoting. Mm-hmm. And so I think you need the data. I think you really, really need the data. But to your point about marketability and awareness, going back to my really earlier point, awareness is the key, right? The benefit of having a celebrity is that they can get you all this awareness within a demographic. So whether they convert or not, like them converting is super helpful, obviously. But I would really say that, you know, you can't expect a celebrity to do everything. Like they're not going to build awareness and convert and like start doing your point of sale and customer service too. Like what are you expecting out of these people? And so for me, I very much um, value the awareness part. So how the celebrity can generate awareness, utilizing their name, their likeness, their image, their social, all of the things that they have access to. But I really believe that it's up to the brand to convert that because most, like I said, the outliers are your are people that, I mean, they're outliers, like the 188 sports people and the four people that just return the email. They don't necessarily do anything. These are just four people who return them. Like that's the percentage you're really working with. And so if you really are trying to be like, I want high awareness, I want high convertibility, I want high marketability, you're looking at like eight people in the world. Like in most brands, just you won't have access to those people. Like you can't have access to those people. So I think you just need to not ask too much. I think you need to recognize what celebrity does and utilize it in the best place for your brand. Yeah. What's something that you're excited for in 2023? Well, I'm super excited because we just closed our fund, which took forever to fundraise for because the market is insane. Um, But we are now deploying. So now all I do is talk to founders and celebrity brands and test them out and think of ideas. So this is kind of the really great part of my job. So I'm super excited for this year. I'm really, really excited to back some brands. In our existing portfolio, we've got some really exciting things. I mentioned Hawthorne is going to name an amazing co-founder. We've been working on this for like a year, it feels like. So I'm super excited about that. Cross Beverages, which just got acquired by Next Century Spirits, is um, they have like Yellow Wolf and Sesh and Happy Sake are like launching a bunch more brands. So um, our portfolio is doing smashing as well, which I'm super excited about. So it's going to be a good year. That's very exciting. Congrats on closing the fund. Thank you. Well, Jackie, thank you so much. This was an incredible conversation. So many gems. I can't wait to share it and also share it on TikTok. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. <laughs> 